And today we're on the book of Colossians. And it just happens to turn out that Colossians is pretty much all about Jesus and his resurrection. So it has kind of worked out. Funny how God does that. So if you want to get your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, we'll start off at chapter 1. And let's just go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being in this place. We thank you that you are an active God. That you are involved in history. That you are involved in our personal lives. And that you are here to make a difference. We are so grateful. We're so thankful for the miracles that you've poured out into our personal lives and what you've done for all humanity. And so we worship you this morning. We give you all thanks and praise. We owe everything to you. You are a good God. There is no negativity in you. We're so grateful that you have our best in mind. So open up your word today. May it reach our soul. May it reach our innermost being this morning. Minister to our spirits. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and our love and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith, go ahead, if you like writing in your Bible, underline the faith and the love the, that springs from hope that is stored up in heaven. So here's an interesting thing. Maybe you've heard this before. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. That's the famous Corinthians verse that we read at weddings. But this faith, hope, and love is a theme that Paul carries on through most of his letters. Let's skip down to verse 9. For this reason, because of the faith and the hope and the love, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have an endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And here's our verse for us today. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, S-O-N, the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Have you ever been in a dark place? I think we all have. And 
there's different expressions of, of being in a dark place. I, I think that, I don't know, when you lose a loved one, you go into a dark place. When you have major loss, you go into a dark place. Um, have you ever heard it said this way? There's a dark side of me. You ever hear that? Well, I just have a dark side. Maybe when you were in junior high, you used to paint your, your fingernails black and wear black lipstick. I don't know. Maybe you watch too many vampire movies and you just have this dark side. Joseph Conrad's novel, The Heart of Darkness, uh, it's, a, it's an adventure story about a riverboat that goes up a river. And the further the, the anti-hero travels up this river into the, the darkest parts of the jungle of the Congo, he knows that he's going further in and further in and further up into darkness. Uh, he says, I'm penetrating the heart of darkness. And as he goes further up and further in, the jungle kind of closes in behind him, and he knows that he cannot return. He knows that the further, in, the further up he goes, he can't get out. It's as if we are a moth drawn to a dark flame. But Jesus has come to set us free from the dominion of darkness. And where Joseph Conrad failed in his novel to give hope, we have the hope of glory, and that is the message for us today. We have hope. You don't have to continue this dark path that you're on. And maybe you're not, maybe you don't consider yourself having a dark side, but I guarantee you everybody has this area of in, our, in our heart that needs to have some light shined on it. So what is it for you today? Maybe you're not uh, going to goth day at Disneyland. <laughs> One of the days we went to Disneyland, it was goth day, and it was like 105, and all these teenage kids in their black leather, they were dying and passing out. It was hilarious. Um, I know. Anyway, I have things about Disneyland. Anyway, all right, here we go. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the first, okay, this is a poem, by the way. So we go from a letter, from prose, now we're, now we're moving into poetry. Uh, your Bibles won't show it, but this is poetry here, so here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, and this, of course, harkens back to Genesis 1 and, and Psalms, and he's stealing from a lot of different sources in the scriptures. He is the, invisible, he is the image of the invisible God. You might want to underline image. Uh, image is actually where we get the word icon. In the, in the Greek, it is, he is the icon of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, and for him and uh, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, 
and in and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. That's you. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. We sing songs like Jesus is king. This is saying Jesus is king. He has the supremacy. Today we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Not, uh, not our Savior that crawled off the cross. And not even our Savior that was raised from the dead. We celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. We just read that he is the firstborn among the dead. That's weird. What does that mean? That means he's the first one to ever be, to ever have a resurrected body. Not a raised body, a resurrected body. He is the firstborn. The reason why he is king, the reason why all powers, all authorities, all dominions, the reason why he created, Jesus created everything. He created you for him and by him. He was in the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And now on our resurrection day, this day that we celebrate, he is the firstborn among the dead, meaning that his body has been resurrected. Jesus actually, I don't know, maybe you're confused, but Jesus actually raised people from the dead. There are three people that, that we know of at least, Jairus' daughter, the widow's son, and his friend Lazarus, who was in the ground a long time and he stunk. So Jesus actually raised people from the dead. And I guess you could say, eh, this gets into weird, you know, we're not about theology. We are about theology, but I don't have time to get into theology and the doctrine of the Trinity right now. But it is the Spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead, that resurrected Jesus from the dead. But here's the difference. His body was completely different, yet it was the same. When he was reanimated, when, when the Ruach of God was breathed into that body that was beaten, that was broken, that was hung on the cross. When it came back to life, this body was supernatural. Resurrected. And where Jairus' daughter and Lazarus, they, they, they died twice. How would you like to have to die twice? <laughs> right? Isn't that kind of weird? Like, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. I don't know how old he was, but maybe he had another 20 years left, and he died again. It's like, what's the, that's kind of weird, right? Jairus' daughter died a second time. But Jesus only died once, because his resurrected body went to another place, went to heaven, went to another dimension. I, we don't... We don't understand completely, but his body had the ability to do things that our bodies can't do and that Jesus' pre-resurrected body could not do either. He walked through walls. He was able to teleport from one area to another area. 
Mary did not recognize him when he came out of the tomb. Yet there was something, she's just witnessing Jesus out of the tomb. And she's like, wait a minute, this isn't computing. I see this man, but there's something not quite right about him. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking beside them. These are, the, these are probably the disciples that said, you know what? We're not going to eat your flesh or drink your blood. That's weird. These are probably those, those guys. We don't know specifically who they were. We just know that they were his disciples. They didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him until they sat down at a table and they broke bread and then his glory was revealed to them. The resurrected body of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. That is what we're celebrating today, and this is truth. This same resurrected body that was beaten, that had holes in his, probably in his wrists, in his feet, the big gash in his side, like one of the closest disciples, Thomas, couldn't recognize him either, and had to stick his, stick his feet. Maybe you're like this. How many people have got to know the facts? You know, what is it, the right brain? Like, I don't know, like you're an accountant or something? And you have to have the facts? That was Thomas. He needed empirical evidence, and, he, and, and Jesus allowed it. Jesus said, all right, here you go. Stick your fingers in my side. And he did. And when his fingers went into the side of his Savior, he says, oh, it was probably something more like this, and I don't mean this flippantly. He's probably saying, oh, my God. My Lord, my Savior. That was his response when he was able to touch the resurrected body. Not quite sure exactly what happened, but there was probably surges of energy, there was clearly a revelation that happened when he touched Jesus' flesh. What an incredible opportunity. I'm sure Thomas was probably scared half to death. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So, If Jesus is the image of the invisible God, all of God's fullness is dwelling inside of this man, this body, the fullness of God. Everything that we, it's so hard to get our heads around, everything that we need to know about God is represented in the man, Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. His fullness is in there. And here we go. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. All right, we got to get this. The fullness of God was in his son, Jesus, so that he could reconcile mankind back to himself. Is that confusing? To reconcile mankind back to himself. The cross is 
the reconciliation vehicle that gets us into a right relationship with Christ. It is the shedding of his blood. It is the reconciliation, the way that the reconciliation is described in, in, in the language is it's like a one-way reconciliation. Uh, if you're married and if you've ever had to reconcile with your spouse, that type of reconciliation also requires compromise, right? Whenever you get into a fight with your spouse, you have to meet in the middle. If you haven't figured this out yet, um, and if you're still sleeping on the couch, uh, hang out with us a little bit. <laughs> We've got some things to teach you. The Bible calls us as in relationship to submit to one another, to consider each other's needs before our own. That requires reconciliation and compromise. But when God calls us to reconciliation, God does not compromise. He sacrifices. He gives freely. We are the ones that change. We are the ones that are transforming into his likeness. Once we were alienated from God, we were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I'm going to get transparent with you for a second. I, well, I was saved when I was a little one, six or seven, in my parents' kitchen. Received Jesus into my heart. And it was real. I didn't have to do it again. It seems like some people have to get saved like every year or something. It's kind of weird. I got saved once. It was real. He was the Lord of my life. And I loved Jesus throughout my school years. I was the church. I wasn't the future church. I was the church then and now. And I, and I shared my faith as a young boy. And, I, and I, even in my high school years, baptized all my friends in my swimming pool. <laughs> then college happened. And college happened. And, you know, uh, whenever, your parents kick, if you were, whenever your parents kick you out of the house, not only did they quit feeding you, uh, you get kicked out of their, their spiritual covering. This is important to get as we're raising our families. You're going to have to kick your kids out someday. It's healthy. It's good. And when they come out from underneath your umbrella, not only are you not responsible for them financially anymore, but you're not responsible for them spiritually anymore. So when I came out from underneath my parents' umbrella, well, I don't know. I had a mind to think of my own. And I turned my back on the Lord. Thank God it was only for a short time. But I turned my back on the Lord, or at least I decided to consciously ignore him and not serve him. I was still okay with the concept of God. I tried, I don't know, I tried agnosticism for a little bit. That didn't work out too well. I got depressed. Just, just being honest with you. But it's like, you know what? I'm going to make a deal with God. He understands my circumstances, so I'm going to live my life a certain way. I'm going to experience life, and I'm going to squeeze all the fun out of life that I possibly can. Right? Then God's just going to understand my circumstances.
didn't realize it was happening, but I was becoming an enemy with God in my mind. Believers, we have to get this. It is so easy for us to get offended by God and to make him our enemy, even when unconsciously we're doing it. How about this one? God doesn't answer your prayer. Do you take offense at him? Like, you know the Christianese, you can do the church thing, but deep down inside you're still hurt, and you're hurt at God. Or whether you face a loss or a pain or a hurt that's just too hard to bear, and then deep down inside you're choosing God off. No, God doesn't want us to be enemies with him. The reason why Jesus came, shed his blood, gave everything, is so that we can be reconciled back to him, not just at our point of salvation, but in our walks with him, so that we can always have a healthy walk with God. Some of us have been saved for a long time in this room, yet we still need to be reconciled back to the Lord. Because we're walking in offense. We're at war with God in our minds. And maybe you're at war in your mind. And it's not. Maybe you're too chicken to be at war with God. So you're at war with the world. Does that make sense? Is it you against the world? Is the world unfair to you? God is here to reconcile and redeem that situation today. Verse 26. Paul tells us about the mystery. The mystery of Jesus. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and and generations but now is disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this ministry, of this mystery. Paul, in his incredible writings, he is unearthing a mystery. <clears> he <throat> ever decided, like, I just need to find myself? I need to go on a spiritual journey. I need to have a revelation or an enlightenment. I need to figure out what's going on. Well, this is it. This is the great mystery. The great mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. We have the incredible opportunity to have Christ in us. And when we have, we're part of the body, we're part of, we are in him, we're planting it, we're planted in him, but we're actually required to have the mind of Christ. So when Christ is in you, you begin to think and act and become more like him each and every day that we grow. The mind of Christ. Think like him, act like him, be like him. I know that seems kind of hard to do, but it's in the little things. These little adjustments that will truly change your life. To have the desires of Christ. 
be able to forgive like Christ. That's a tough one, isn't it? Paul, we don't have time to get into it. Paul says, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. That's the, that requires the mind of Christ. This is tough stuff. The hope of glory. Chapter 2, verse 2. My purpose, Paul's purpose, the meaning of this letter to the Colossians, my purpose is that they may encourage they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. It doesn't get any more mysterious than Christ. And here's the really neat thing about our faith and about our walk. This is a mystery. But this mystery has been revealed. Like there is no secret knowledge I don't have any magic words or a fancy handshake for you guys. It's all right here. It is Christ in you. There's no secret knowledge. The mystery has been revealed. It is Christ in us. It is this hidden treasure. In whom, in whom, all, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, here's the really neat thing. Okay, so you get the salvation grace. Probably most of us in the room have experienced some sort of salvation grace. But once we have the mind of Christ, once he begins, we allow him to rule, once we allow him to have supremacy in our very being, we get wisdom and knowledge. I need that. Oh, Lord, do I need wisdom. Knowledge is the practical stuff. Wisdom is the stuff that's in the gray areas. How do you know which job to take? How do you know who to marry? Well, that's going to require wisdom. That's going to require understanding the heart of God. Verse 6, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This is, what we're, this is how you grow. Like, it's just not a one-time deal. Wouldn't it be nice if you just got saved and automatically you got downloaded all this wisdom, knowledge, information, and then you were happy for the rest of your life, and nothing bad ever happened to you? You had no more trials or tribulations. Now, it's, we need to be rooted in God, rooted in this word. All right, here we go. Remember when we talked about the heart of darkness at the beginning of the message? Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision of your sinful nature... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled out the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood and opposed us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Here's the, interesting, here's the most fascinating thing about the cross. 
when we watch The Passion of the Christ or we watch, you know, the Bible on TV, we clearly see that the Romans are nailing Jesus to the cross. But what Paul is telling this here is Jesus is nailing himself to the cross. He is nailing our sins to the cross. He is the active agent. He's the one. <laughs> Him and the Father and the Holy Spirit, they had this bright idea that they were going to go to the cross together for the hope of glory. So that you could have this hope. And having disarmed through this very action, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Since then you have been raised with Christ, chapter 3, verse 1. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. You have received Jesus into your heart, set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated At the right hand of God, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ. All right, here's we got to get this, church. Some of us have been saved. Some of us have Jesus living in us, but not everybody has died. God wants to kill the Joseph Conrad in you. He wants to kill that person that actually enjoys reading the heart of darkness and finds comfort in it. The Christianity is a little bit of a bait and switch. When the disciples were called to Jesus, they said, Come and see. Come and see. He just might be the Messiah. He just might have all the answers. Come and see. And Jesus said, come and sit. Come and listen. Hang out at the campfire. Jesus said, come and eat. Come and partake. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Let's go into relationship with one another. Come and see. Come and get active. And here's the unfortunate part. Come and die. Die to your sinful nature. Some of you have been saved, but so not all of everybody has died. You must die. Your sinful person must die. Sometimes we, we are able to kill off our sinful person, and we have the incredible ability to raise them from the dead. We are walking zombies. And God does not want to talk to your old dead self anymore. He does not enjoy talking to zombies. He wants to talk to the living you, the one that he shed his blood for, the one that he has purpose for and vision for. That's the one that he wants to talk to. So quit resurrecting some old, dead, stinky body. Now, the forgiveness of sins is very difficult to understand It's like, well, I didn't ask Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I've actually heard that said to me before. It's like, it kind of floored me. I was trying to share the the gospel with somebody on the street. It's like, this woman's like, what did Jesus ever do for me? He's died 2,000 years ago. I didn't ask him to die for my sins. I didn't know what to say. I'm like, okay, all right, well, set your minds on things above. Set your hearts on heaven. 
Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. This is how God views you in heaven. So as he sees you in heaven, you're known in heaven as lovely, as dearly loved, as children. This is how you are known in heaven. Clothe yourselves. I got a new suit. Do you have a new suit today? You have a new dress? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, patience. Bear with one another and forgive what other grievance you have against each other? This is the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, self-control. He echoes it again. All right. Forgiveness of sins is one thing. Salvation grace is one thing. But we also need empowering grace. Because God is actually concerned about the details in your life. Here's how the book ends. All right, this is going to be lots of fun. Chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. That's an an unfortunate word. Uh, We have all kinds of baggage and taboo on that word submit. And um, I don't know, I prayed about this. I think it's okay to, to change it because we read this out of context, out of the cultural context. Wives. Respect your husbands. Does that sound a little bit better? Does that sound a little more doable? This is where it gets practical. You get Jesus inside of you, he requires us to respect one another. Wives who have Christ inside of you, respect your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Do you see how incredibly practical it gets? If you don't have Christ alive in you, you can't do this. If you don't have Christ inside of you, alive in you, if you don't have the hope of glory, that someday you're going to have the same type of body Jesus did, resurrected power, you can't do this. You can't respect your spouse and you can't love your spouse. Here's a good one that everybody should love. Children, obey your parents. For it pleases the Lord. Right? Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Don't provoke your children to anger. It's practical stuff. But you need the Holy Spirit to pull it off. I mean, this seems like really simple, right? This seems so just like, this is really basic stuff. It's not, you don't understand, Pastor Josh, how complicated my relationships are. No, no, Jesus understands. He really does. But the hope of glory gives us, these are the tools to fix everything in your life. It really is, folks. It really is everything. It is your eternity, and it is your option to have heaven on earth. Do you see that? You get eternity if you say yes to Jesus today, and you get heaven on earth if you choose to be rooted in him and die to your old self. It is the best deal on the planet. All right, if I get the band and the ushers to come up to the front. And would you stand with me?
And let's just, uh, every, we're going to pray together, and then we're going to bless you. It is Resurrection Sunday. And he, Jesus, our loving Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit, it is his will, it is his desire, it is his good pleasure to free you from the dominion of darkness. He wants to free you from that dominion of darkness. Whether it is real darkness, whether you're going up that river, or whether it's just the, the dark night of the soul because you're facing loss and hurt and pain. No, he's, he's here, and he wants to minister to the deepest parts of your soul to free you from that cage that you've been living in for a very long time. So if I could just get everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I pray you would just come right now and quicken our spirits, God. We need you. This church needs you. Our society, our culture, our politics, this world, it needs you. And we know that there is transformation in your name. So Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. If you need salvation grace this morning, like if you walked in this building and you're just not quite sure if you're going to heaven or not, and if you want to know Jesus, just raise your hand. Right now, I just pray for my sister, God. I pray right now that you just fill her up with joy. I pray right now you give her the hope of salvation, the hope of glory. Father, right now, I just pray for this gentleman in the back, God. I pray right now that you just give him encouragement, give him the ability to walk in faith and encouragement. Heaven is so happy right now. Jesus is your friend. He is your Lord. There is so much love that you just, you're just going to scratch the surface at this moment, but there's more to come. Now, beloved, how many people want today to die to their old self, to die to their sinful nature, to, to, to die to darkness? Light, Lord. Move us into the kingdom of your son, Lord Jesus. Give us light in those dark places. Give us the courage to let you shine your glorious light on the dark parts of our heart. We say no more to this, oh, well, this is my dark side. God, we allow you to kill that in us in the name of Jesus. Our world desperately needs positive people where there is no darkness in us. So make us perfect as you are perfect today. Pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. God, I pray you bless this offering. Give us hope. May it advance your kingdom this week. In your name, amen.